friends, welcome back to another episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my magnetic putty, uh, mime-dancing, mutated flower person and co-host. I'm more just embarrassed you didn't go with Mutant Bear, which was really what I wanted. Alex Dandino. For those of you on YouTube, you already know Alex is a mutant bear. Hashtag, look it up. It's on the apps. Uh, guys, this is December, man. We survived uh, the pod breaking bread. Uh, so now December is our favorite month, actually, for the podcast. This is our second one we've done. We love this theme because we ask you guys, the audience, uh, what movies do you want to watch? And we stuff them in your stocking, man. We stuff your stocking this month in December. Uh, if you're listening to this, there's still time to get at us with your suggestions. We have some really fucking good ones. Uh, yeah. We have I Saw the Devil, Jaws 4, which, brilliant, perfect alchemist. Uh, we're going to do Hell or High Water. So we've got some really fun ones coming up, but we've got room for more. So let us know. Uh, yeah. While you're doing that, if you listen to the show right now, please take a second. Give us a rating and review, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts, if that's where you listen to us. You can find us on YouTube at Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. Uh, also, you can find us on social media. We're we're doing really uh, much more business on Twitter lately at Film Alchemist One, but we're everywhere. Film Alchemist Pod at Gmail. Uh, still time to get in those picks, guys, to get your stocking stuffed uh, by the mutant bear over there, especially. <laughs> so, guys, we're starting off. This is actually an old request. Uh, one of our uh, listeners, longtime friend of the show, the first person to give us a request, uh, I believe it's Negals Tejanas on Instagram. Uh, the sub name is Bonnie, so I don't know what all the names are. <laughs> right? Why don't we go with Bonnie because that's easier. That's that, that's that's much easier than someone's Instagram handle. Bonnie seems. Are you saying that I embarrass myself pronunciation wise? I don't know. Not at all. Uh, it's Lady Legolas on Letterboxd, right? So maybe that's the more, that's the one I should have started with. But, uh, we've been friends for a while. She, a long time ago, when we first started the Letterboxd list on the app, you can find all the movies that have ever been on uh, the film Alchemist. Right. <laughs> Here it is, the sickness kicking in. Bear with me. I'm mutating. It's in me. It's in me. Uh, she suggested Annihilation. She said, what a beautiful and haunting film, I think, is her reasoning for why we should cover it. Um, I think she's absolutely right. I remember seeing this in theater and I think the best description of me leaving the theater flabbergasted, right? Purely flabbergasted. Um, I, as a reader, I have read the Southern reach trilogy. I was a big fan of the books, even though three books later, like I am almost less clarification on what's happening. (laughs) Uh, then after I, you know, then I, before I started the books, the movie kind of is a little more finite, but it's a really fun movie. Uh, I was watching it with my wife, and, and her cutaway was just, God, what a beautiful movie, right? Yeah. Alex, what about Annihilation do you think makes it such a delightful stocking stuffer? Uh, I actually agree with all the things you said. I saw this movie in the theater with my wife as well, and we walked out just sort of uh, in awe of the uh, – like the enormity of it because yeah. it feels like the movie itself is I, if the movie itself. I didn't remember it like it running. It felt very fast. This time I watched mm-hmm. it's 115 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's like two hours long. Like I felt like I was, I felt like it was like a race to the finish. It's pretty fascinating, <laughs> but 
I remember us walking out and feeling just like the enormity of it all. And like the sort of like the conversations we had about the movie afterwards and about what we thought about Lena and so on and so forth. Like, again, this movie is, uh, the movie is not for people who just like, if you want something spelled out for yourself, you will not enjoy this movie at all. 100%. Right. This movie, uh, this movie is what I would call not easily accessible. So if you, if you want a brain teaser, if you want something that you're going to talk about with your friends, my God, Annihilation might be the best movie you could possibly watch. Yeah, and I mean, I'm a little biased, right? Because one, Alex Garland, uh, I yeah. stand at this point. He's like one of my four or five guys now. No matter what, wherever it is, I'll be there. I'm fine. I stand, right? Yeah. I so, was going to say, yeah, Alex Garland, pretty much anything he does, I show up for. Yeah, so that already had swayed me. Again, I read the books, and I, I was fascinated by the world of the books. Uh, this right. movie's just kind of tailor-made for everything I love about a movie-going experience. And especially the thing I like about this movie, which is weird because it's kind of a double-edged sword for me. I adore movies that just let me sit in powerful imagery, right? Yeah, totally. Let me sit, right? Don't tell me what I'm supposed to be thinking exactly. And let me just sit and ponder and grapple. I was I was talking to my wife as we were watching, and we just kind of were sitting there, like, you know, soaking in these final images, which are bizarre and it's it's the kind of imagery right the the end of this movie in the lighthouse reminds me of 2001 where you don't fully know what you're looking at why you're looking at it but all you know is that there's some kind of you know through alchemy as we always say on the show there's just a dark presence right you feel like yeah. natalie portman being pressed against the wall by the weight of what we're watching even if we don't understand it and right. I love movies that let me sit and ponder just imagery like that, right? Very few movies can kind can cause such gravity just through visuals, right? But right. I do think there is an odd bone to pick with this movie where they do that constantly, but then turn around and do the Ellen Page Inception moment where they spell it out for us like we're actually children. <laughs> and I don't know if it's as bad in this one because I'm not a scientist that understands like Furman's DNA or whatever the fuck they were talking about, right? Oh, it's Furman's DNA, human building blocks. Like, all right, well, I'm a dummy. I don't know that stuff. But it is a weird mixed bag of sit and ponder kind of the entire essence of reality. And yeah. we are going to walk you through this in baby steps. Right. I, I mean, it's... um. Yeah, it's such a strange, like, tightrope walk. Like, again, this is one of those things where uh, I have never read the book. So I was, I, was walk, I was walking in cold. The only thing I had read online was that uh, David Ellison, who runs Paramount, literally pulled financing from the movie because after, like, a cut, after a cut that went out, um, <laughs> audiences, like, he was like, it's too intellectual. You need to make it dumber for everyone. Yeah. And Alex Garland and Scott Rudin both said, fuck you no we're not yeah. doing that and literally he pulled the money and so i didn't know like because i remember it being released on netflix in uh the uk like pretty much immediately after it was released in theaters i'm like right. that's weird i wonder how that works and then i read actually i was reading about the uh right before the show i was reading the whole thing i'm like oh <laughs> now it makes more sense but like also it totally makes sense that david ellison would say like this movie is a little too intellectual for people like people aren't gonna get it like Obviously, I think that's wrong. Like, I think you can find something in this movie that anyone would like. But what a fascinating journey 
and what a fascinating take on the book. Cause that was, I, I love Alex Garland's writing process for this. Wasn't to like go back and reread the book. He literally like the way you've described it is like, I wanted it to be like the book itself, which is like a dream. So yeah. I basically based everything off the memories I had of reading the book. Yeah. And to be fair, again, I read the book and the kind of bones are here, like the basic parts, but it's so very wildly different than the book. And I think it's brilliant because again, I read three books and I still don't fully understand everything that happened. Right. I right. vaguely understand what the Southern reach is. I still have no answers as to why, what, <laughs> right. you know, anything like that. So, but to me, the Southern reach trilogy always kind of fell in with like something like house of leaves. Right. 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 Where totally. you're like, how the fuck would you ever film this? Right. As a reader, it's fascinating because like the imagery and the power of these books is insane, but how the fuck do you get that on screen? And I will give Alex Garland credit. I think what he did was capture the feeling of this. Cause what, what this book does with the, the shimmer as they call it, or the Southern reach, right? Instead of focusing more on the, you know, who, what, when, where's and why they just capture this feeling of our, us as people, right? We are wildly yeah. uncomfortable with, the uh unknown right it's man's why is man the most afraid of dark right it's our first primordial fear because we don't know what the fuck's in the dark and it might eat us right and so here picture something like this southern reach you're just sitting there and all of a sudden your your office job right is like well i'm looking out at this glowing shimmering fucking wall i can go in but i can't come out i don't know what's happening i hate it i want answers right Uh, right right totally so it's it's this kind of monster in the daylight just staring at us saying everything you built yourself and your whole lives around is wrong and false and we're going to challenge that and our right. inability to accept that <laughs> and the way they take this giant science fiction concept of the shimmer appearing and perfectly layer that on a parallel path with uh Lena's journey of here is this fictional character Lena I've created and watching her annihilate that narrative it it works really well for me because that's one of the things and that differs in this one is that it's so much more focused on the personal journey of lena right right and i think that's a an important point one thing i wanted to ask you something that kind of stuck out to me a little more on this viewing is how the the movies piece together because it's essentially a story of four different times right Right. The marriage, uh, the kind of husband returning before she joins the company inside of the reach. And then Benedict uh, Wong questioning her. Right. So there's four time right. periods and the way they intersplice them this time, I thought was fascinating because there's no real rhythm to it. It feels very herky jerky at points. Right. Totally. What do you make of this device of. Instead of doing it chronologically, the four periods. What do I make of like how that like what, what do you mean? Like the how does this uh, affect the, you viewing the movie in your opinion? Do you like this layout? Do you wish they had just gone through an order? No, I don't. I mean, like I, I like that kind of stuff. Like uh, I think there's a way that it goes awry a lot of the time in movies. Like, again, I. I walked out of the theater. I The one thing I remember is telling uh, Andrea, I was like, I think the thing that I love the most about the movie is Alex Garland's control over the story itself. Mm. Because to me, this movie, in the hands of anyone else, honestly, could spin out of control so fucking quickly. Like, 
it's shocking how badly this could have gone had Alex Garland a not also (laughs) had either like Alex Garland it was necessary for Alex Garland to write and direct this movie I think if you had someone writing and then someone directing you would not have gotten a movie even close to what you would have wanted out of like probably the source material I mean I'm so fascinated in general but like the amount of control it takes to make this kind of movie is so fascinating because you have those refractory time periods like those changes and that kind of thing I really think it takes a certain amount of control that most direct that some directors don't have if you haven't written or you're not as familiar with the with the material um that I really respect and enjoy because that's why to me that's not super jarring like because it's not it's not jarring because I know that I'm being led down the proper narrative path it's not right. just oh man I got to reference this because this happened oh I got to reference it like because like it might be a little bit of a jumble, but like narratively it's focused. It's so focused and pinpointed down that it makes sense. That's like, that's the real, that's the real wonder of this movie in general is how much control is exerted by the director who also wrote it. Because again, this this is the kind of script that can go get out of control so quickly. Like this movie is 115 minutes long. Probably like imagine like, you know, in the nineties, this would have been a three hour movie. Like (laughs) they, the southern patient <laughs> yeah yeah dude it's exactly what i was thinking like this is totally a kind of thing like anthony anthony mcgill would be like oh i am all over this and it absolutely would have been like a three hour long epic and we would be like the get to the end and be like i'm so bored good lord david like, lean and at the end lean is just like i'll build my own lighthouse Oh my god, dude! <laughs> that would be amazing. Annihilation, directed by David Lean. Yeah, right. That actually, that that actually. Is the I'd movie watch I the really fuck out of that. To, to be fair, I think it should be the new like 100%. film school test, right? Do your version of Annihilation. Hundred percent, absolutely. Well, it's it's funny to me because I found myself wondering about the four time periods, but again, like you said, I think it's funny that you keep saying the phrase, you know, how controlled he is, because the whole film feels completely out of control all the time no one ever feels like they have any authority here right not a chance start and benedict and all his homies right they're all in suits watching her through a box so already we're setting a boundary between ourselves, the audience and this woman right this disheveled injured woman and we're she's telling us everything went wrong and she's the sole survivor right okay we know shit's gone awry but what that does, building this differential between us, what we're then figuring out is every scene for the rest of the movie is her recanting to him and us what her version of the events are. Right. And it sets up the least reliable narration, maybe of any movie I can think of, sort of usual suspects, right? You're like, oh, yeah. Every single thing in this movie, then, for the rest of the film, we don't know what to make of it. And what I found fascinating about it this time, really kind of, you know, burrowing into it for this pod, the part of the movie, in my mind, from my my last viewing, which had been years ago at this point, was that I don't know why we did flashbacks. That was something I kept coming to, like, why do we need the flashback stuff as much? It's, it's Jump very into weird. it a little faster, you know, get us to the southern reach. Uh, you know, that seemed to matter more to me. What's funny as shit this time is going back through the narrative and watching Lena essentially 
in a minuscule way, rewrite her own history to be more heroic while being a shitbag, totally. right? Like right. when the I mean, guy approaches her at school and he's like, it's been one year since your husband left. And she's like, never. I love him still. It's like, oh, but did she say that in the moment? Is that what she actually said to him? Or when right. we cut back and we have these scenes, right? These brilliant splices of her imagining her affair to waking up with a gun in her face being called a liar. Not only is that a good juxtapose, like, you know, here's a visual and then we'll tell you like it fits all right. What it does is when you watch them having sex that time, Lena seemingly is not enjoying herself at all. Yeah. Right. So it's, it seems like a wasted moment, but then I was like, why is she look so bored during sex? Oh fuck. Cause she's recanting to him. Yeah. And she's trying to make herself feel better about what she did. I really think like getting through the whole movie and watching it again is very important because when you watch it after like, cause you have to make your decision about the ending, obviously, but like the most important thing is Lena is 1000% the worst, most unreliable narrator in an entirety of film. Like she totally 1000% it's not even a rewrite on her like i wouldn't even call it a rewrite it's like um it's an imagining of what a life actually should be that is presumably like hers like because that's like the crazy thing is yeah the things that are flashbacks to me are so haphazard like and i'm not sure if that's the best way to put it but like to me they're like they're straight out of like you know, bad, like romance movies, like that scene where she's in bed. She's like, why aren't you here? I'm like, yeah, I've seen that scene in so many bad yeah. movies about like people that are breaking up. Like that feels wrong because this movie is so just like intense with other types of ideas that that rings kind of untrue. And that's, I think probably one of the great first clues that Lena might not actually be Lena. Well, it's, yeah, I think that's interesting too, because what is so strange is, like, I think Benedict Wong, actually, his character asks, because she keeps saying, I don't know, I don't know. Seemingly almost dodging questions, but we learn, like, like, does she actually know? Is it just more of a philosophical thing now? She's like, I've seen it, bro. I can't come back to you, bro. Like, you know, your friend who smokes pot for the first time. And he's like, right, yeah. I see all the strings on you puppets, bro. I'm outside of the game. <laughs> You're like, okay, cool guy. There could be some of that, right? But there, there <laughs> yeah. is a part of Lena... And she keeps saying, I don't know. And Benedict Wong says, uh, then what do you know? And we get a long pause. And this is where we start the movie, right? Yeah. And the very first image after that is the cell splitting, right? This is kind of the Lena's theme of her tale is that all life and destruction are linked, right? That one cell right. becomes two. You can look at that as destruction or the building block, the rhythm of the dividing cell, right? That's life and destruction. Right. So right. it's kind of this cool place for her to exist where – we never fully know anything, and, and that plays more. I was struck by how much that that affected outside of the Southern Reach parts of this story, which are cool. Like, right. here's a great example of how they use these different time periods to good effect. When they're inside the Southern Reach, who's the first person who starts losing their shit? Right? Like, the very first person yeah. like, we got to go. We got to go. We got to get out of here. I'm scared of everything. Right. The fucking paramedic from Chicago? Who willingly signs up for the mission and that, would constantly be in these? It because that was something I was like, why is she the one that's losing her shit so much? Her and Gina Lena Rodriguez. are the two that would not be losing their shit, but she yeah. is. Why? Because Lena is telling us the story, 
and extra vilifying and shaping her point of view because later she has a gun in her face. Right. You know what I, I mean? So all these little weird things that were right. bothering me, you realize it's because Lena is a fucking liar. Well, that's sort of like I, I was watching this this time and I realized like because I got to be honest with you, like I'm not one thousand like I'm pretty sure Ventress is real. I'm not one thousand percent sure Josie, Cass or Anya are real people because to me they represent this very they represent what were this whole movie is about, which is about change and the uh, moment of change and so on and so forth. But like Cass being gone first, for instance, represents like the violent nature of change. Like, the abruptness of it. Right. And then Anya is the sort of grief of change, where it's this situation where you, you it's the change, the the internal change that you can't prevent. It, like, she's literally watching her fingerprints yeah. rearrange themselves, and she freaks out. Like, that is really a great scene, but also, again, like, from, and then, uh, finally, you have the acceptance of uh, change from Josie. Like, Josie literally turns into a flower, pretty much. Yeah. And this is this level of acceptance, like, Josie sees the beauty in it and like some people have tried to frame it as like oh maybe she's trying to avoid a fate the a fate similar to Cass where Cass like um is like sort of refracted like they talk about in the movie like refracted to her DNA is refracted through what's the shimmer but like I really don't think it is like I feel like it's just the stages of evolution itself but more to the point the stages of evolution of grief of loss of any like sort of like any sort of suffering you've been through right right all of us go through that kind of thing. And these three women represent Lena's experience with that. Yeah. My only counter to that would be that Benedict Wong specifically asked where these people are. So a version of these characters went in with her. Are they anything like the women we saw? No, not necessarily. They're all very caricature versions of themselves. Right. Right. there, There is something to that you know, kind of ghostly nature of all of their spirits. And this, again, is why I thought it was so weird that the paramedic immediately starts losing her shit. Yeah. Uh, Ventress is just so aloof the whole time, right? Yeah. Has this kind of very fatalistic, suicidal bend the whole time while acting like she is Yoda, which is kind of a strange duality that they play yeah. with. But She is just like a fatalist the entire movie. Yeah, because she, she just constantly is like, uh. like when that when what's her name gets fucking attacked by the alligator. You see Natalie yeah. Portman like spring too, and she's like, "All right, I guess I'll walk into the cottage slowly and not help at all." It's like, what the fuck? But, <laughs> but <laughs> what I think is funny too is uh, Josie, right? That's the the flower lady. She become she actually lays it out in a pretty compelling case, which is yeah, moving forward to the lighthouse, right? She's like, Ventress wants to face it. You want to fight it. And I don't think I want either of those things, man. And she's just kind of say lovey, right? Such is life. I'm out. And walks out. And I love the scene, too, when she walks and just disappears. Because what I don't assume happened is that she becomes one of those flower people immediately. I think she actually takes a dive in the tall grass and is just waiting for Natalie Portman to leave. And she was like, fuck, that was dramatic as hell. That's going to sound great when they do the lifetime version of this. Like, Josie's just sitting in those weeds waiting for her to leave, and then she's like, wow, God, now it's going to take me, like, three weeks to mutate. Great. (laughs) But (laughs) her point is a pretty apt one, right? Because, again, by the end of the movie, we get no clarification, zero clarification on what any of this was about or why. 
right. the movie even gets to I, I love Natalie Portman's line when he starts saying like one by one everyone else was gone and you're here what's what's that all about and she's like oh is that something I have to explain yeah and he's like yeah you do and the movie never chooses to no right I mean I think it's a movie again like this goes back to the sense of control that Alice Garland has over the script and the story itself is just knowing that you don't have to explain that I think that probably like because how many times have we watched movies like you and I have watched so many movies doing this show, doing the other <laughs> pod, like just in general, we watch a lot of movies and how many times do things get over explained? Like yeah. Josie explaining what she thinks the shimmer is and what it actually is and how this whole thing works is very different than like, you know, someone telling you how a nuclear bomb explodes, like those kinds of things. Like, I always refer to it as Ellen Page and in inception, right? Yeah. Where, well, like, yeah she you only said, yeah. exists to be like, what's that right and then they there's, walk her through like a cool music dun, 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 right. dun. that's there's the no gobbledygook that does the duke to do there's <laughs> no character yeah there's no character in this movie that is strictly there for exposition which i right. think is a little frustrating for some people but i think is actually probably again like alex garland's whole point is like not everything can be explained particularly things when it comes to the nature of the nature of what we are on like a molecular level yeah so I think that's the that's the advantage of the movie itself is that you're left so unsettled, but also like kind of you're not. I I, I didn't leave confused. I just left, uh, I left in awe. I would say right. That's well, like, here's the problem of the movie. Right, is when you're building a big science fiction and almost this is almost a fantasy film. Right, to me, yeah. as much as this is 2001, it's Alice in Wonderland. Right, it kind of walks betwixt the worlds, which is. When you're building these worlds, you have to do some explaining, right? In a movie like this, you have to explain to me what the fucking Grateful Dead wall is. You have right. to explain to me why the crocodile is like an albino with shark teeth. You have to explain to me why it matters that this thing's moving. Why? What happens when you're in? So there is a level of things like that they need to explain away. They sure it's it's like all horror movies at this point. Why why don't they call the cops on a cell phone? Every horror movie you watch, every new one. Look for it. There's a scene where, oh, no signal. Every one of them, right? Because you have to address yeah. these things. And this one has to go a step further where it's, this thing is growing and changing us. And you're like, well, it's kind of beautiful, man. Why did, Why is that so bad? You know, okay, the bears can talk like us. Well, that'll make for some good TikToks. Like, all right. <laughs> so they, they have to start going through. And what I like is that their explanations, right? Like when Josie lays out, it's... It's refracting us. It's right. done in a more kind of philosophical version of the exposition, which is, you know, it's taking, it takes all of us and changes it. Right. And then there's Ventress just going, it's us. She's talking about us. And we're like, oh, okay. We didn't, I didn't necessarily need that extra bit of kid gloving. I'm like, you also named Oscar Isaac's character Kane. I was yeah. like, so this is a movie that's not afraid to be right on the nose when it needs to be. <laughs> right. Again. But, like, the fact that we're sitting here talking about it and not literally excoriating the movie for being right on the nose when it needs to be is, again, the great source of power of this movie is the control Alex Garland has. Like, that in and of itself is a great example of why this movie is so great is that they can throw something like Kane and be right on the fucking nose. 
And like you and I go, will brush right past it and go, yeah, but can we please talk about the lighthouse and yes. the fucking what's going on in hey, there? You know, there are directors who are masters of controlled chaos, right? Like George Miller. If you watch right. Fury Road, the most impressive thing about that is that it's all out madness that is conducted like a symphony, right? This movie has a lot of that. Um, there there are moments in the film that I think like there's obviously just staggeringly beautiful moments. To me, still my favorite moment in the film is when they find the guy in the pool. Yeah, and he's become he's this kind of like the, fungus, the, 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 the like leechins or whatever. Yeah, like fungus, lichen, human yeah. statue, lichens. Yeah, and it's so bizarre. The weird thing, too, is that they're not acknowledging right away that they understand that that's the Marine. Yeah. They're kind of playing it off. It's like, maybe we can ignore this and it'll go away. And you're, but again, that gets back to the Lena narrating. Of course, she wants to alter the gruesomeness of that a little bit because it's her husband that fucking sliced that dude open and was playing with his intestineals or whatever. But that moment is just one of those like beautiful moments that it just makes you sit and just look at that fucking thing. The movie is loaded with beautiful things like that. I think it's right. funny that the animals aren't beautiful in this movie, right? That oh, the yeah. alligator I thought was kind of a swing and a miss, and the bear is really pretty bad looking. Well, I'm, it's well, not a great like, looking like, bear, cre- like creature feature stuff, or just in general. Well, I'm just saying, I'm like, if you can make that statue right the fungus statue of the man right this god of the fungus emperor thing you could do better than that cgi bald face bear like that could have been a cooler looking creature right this is the world where all these creatures are being refracted and mutated and this and that we could have done a little better than the bear and the gator i i was saying i thought that was weak and then they had two bears that have like little uh, you know, cherry blossom antlers. I was like, what? That's it? We got motherfucking counter, flower people everywhere. To Come counter on. that, though, the look of the mutant bear is not what's supposed to be terrifying about that. It's the fact that it's shouting. I'm saying it's terrifying. Voice. I think it's, I think it's, and maybe that's a point, right? Why are the landscapes and the vegetation so beautiful and the animals all just look like shave monstrosities? I mean, I think that goes. I mean, that's a direct visual metaphor for what it like what the world is at large. Like to me, no, that world is animals. Beautiful. Animals being torn asunder and turned into biological freak shows. Same with humans. It means that they are not. You know, it's that we are not. We, we shouldn't be. We should be. We shouldn't be tempting the fate by going into the shimmer. See, that's While, wrong. That's wrong. I disagree okay. because you can. This is the clever trick of the movie: is that you can hide everything you don't like behind the Lena as the narrator argument. Maybe Lena is just describing these animals in ways that make them more monstrous than they should be, but not beautiful. The thing is, is again, and this is something the movie gets back to, which I think is cool. Because if you're not going to tell me why this is happening, right? And by the sure. end of the movie, I would say it's maybe one of my only gripes: is that I don't think this makes any sense. As a film, like once you get to the end, you're like, I don't know if this whole Southern Reach thing pans out in a in a fathomable way, right? Neither here nor there. <laughs> I just think the creature work could have been more interesting because what he's saying is that the Southern Reach and the Shimmer is not here to destroy and annihilate, right? It's building something new. And so I was like, all right, it's not. We look at those creatures like, look at that monstrous bear. Man, that's just a, a newly refracted bear, man. That could have been cool. 
It could have had eight spider legs or some shit like that. Like, use some imagination, goddammit. That's all I'm asking for. Use some imagination. I mean, I I thought it was pretty pretty imaginative for a woman's voice to come out. The voice was a lovely touch. And I liked that because that was a weird moment in the film that struck me is the bear kills Shepard, but it didn't eat her. Right? Weird for a wild predator to kill something not to eat. Right. So it added this extra layer to the bear that was, like I said, I don't think the bear needs to be scary visually. The bear on its own, right? That it killed for pleasure almost. Right. And the only thing it took sustenance from its kill is fear. It took the fear of this human lady, mimicked her voice, but as a not even as a hunting technique. That was kind of a cool thing too. Not only right. obviously like it's with its last breath it whispers help me. But the fact right. that when it's in the room saying help me, right? Natalie Portman's character says uh don't react. Right? It's just saying help me. Help. It's like the fucking original fly movie, right? Help me. And then it can seemingly see them. It puts Josie's mouth like shoulder in its mouth and doesn't start attacking right so there is this almost it's looking for human empathy because it ripped this lady's throat out that is very creepy yeah I'm talking more just visually the bear underwhelming I mean the concept of the bear cool as fuck I I didn't have a problem with it (sighs) good lord Alex See, you're ref- you're refracting yourself into a a pleb, a philistine. <laughs> I enjoy I enjoyed uh, the creature work was not like the creature work. Sure, a bear probably could have had something other than antlers, but at the same time, that's what I'm saying. I was more distracted by the woman's voice coming out of its mouth. I'm just saying I that le- like- that bear was less interesting than the bear from the Great Outdoors. Could have done well, better. For going that- if we're going that direction with it. Actually, they could have been brothers, I guess. One just has a hairless ass. The other one has a hairless face. <laughs> could have been, man. Could have been. Yeah, I, I like the bear a lot as a creature. Um, we I guess we got to talk about the ending, right? The ending's like a whole fucking big ordeal. The it's a whole lot to unpack in the ending. <laughs> I remember seeing in the, I remember watching in the theater and I remember thinking, and it ended right on the time, right on time. Cause I was like, if this goes on one minute longer, I'm I'm just going to write this movie off. And then it stopped. I'm like, okay, cool. Got it. It's an unbearable like that, weight. Like it's it, like that. The, the nebulous thing, which is really cool. Like when Ventress basically disintegrates and turns into the, I, I don't know what you'd call it. Like the eye. Basically it's like the eye of civilization. Uh, and okay. Then, well let's, let's walk through this piece by piece. Cause there's a whole lot, right? Like just from the yeah. basics, when we walk in, what we see are these giant crystals. They're not, really fully organic forms so that's weird that it's there again the movie shockingly on the nose right uh our light landed in a lighthouse which is still lit even though the light's in the basement i was like okay there's a lot of chicanery going on here but that's fine uh so let's just do some questions right which kane walked out of that building the doppelganger. See, I think they want you to think that because of the slicky hair, right? He has the slicky hair. But I didn't think that because I didn't think that because <laughs> of the slicky hair, though. 
See, I wondered because when the other doppelganger catches fire and he sets fire to the skeleton, which has nothing left on it to burn, I thought that was him taking his brothers with him, right? That seemed like a will destroy the evidence we were here moment. Right. And that maybe the cane that left was actually the cane that went in just altered through his experience, right? Perception, mind open. I know there's like the little eye glimmer at the end. But we'll get to that, too. I don't know. I thought that was interesting the way they leave it open. Because at this point in the movie, I think it would be counterintuitive to tell us, oh, it is the doppelganger that got out. Right? You almost have to leave it somewhat ambiguous. I think you have to leave it somewhat ambiguous, but I really honestly just thought it was. I assumed it was the doppelganger to begin with. Right. And then at the end of the movie, when Kane, when she asks, are you really Kane? And he says, I don't think so. That's where I was like, well, that makes sense. Like nothing would surprise me about Kane emulating himself and letting the doppelganger walk away. Well, sure. But his, his sequence of lines I thought were really fast. One that (laughs) some version of him is filming himself. Right. (laughs) <laughs> the right. mindset you would have to be in but i believe his exact lines if i have this right are uh if i wasn't kane what was i was i you and then he says uh were you me something like that right there is this inherent built-in maybe there never even was a cane right so what are you even imitating i think right. that's a fun a fun extra thing this was the first time i've watched it where i wondered as a Wait, did Kane? It was something about the the metal doppelganger lighting the skeleton on fire that made me question if the doppelganger theory of this movie actually is as simple as we think it is. I think the ending wants to push us that way, but I think you could look at it another way. Uh, Was that Ventress in the basement? Yes. Why would you think that's her? I was confused by this. Because when we first see her face is skewed, there's nothing of her. Well, I'll back up. I would actually say... Because if that's not her, we don't know what happens to Ventress, right? She's just a question mark. I'll actually back up. I actually don't think it's been Ventress at all. And here's why. And you pointed it out earlier, which is that from the get-go, like, she literally does not care. Like, her walking into that cabin while the girl's getting just torn asunder by the albino alligator that would like i don't think she's actually she's the she's leading them down the primrose path like that's why she's there so yes she's the same ventress who's been there with her the whole time but i don't think she's the original ventress so you think she is a plant from the shimmer i do you should read the books then you would like some of that that's an interesting thing. You know what's funny? I even read the books. I never thought about that. Because there is something weird, especially because I was telling you, it was like Jennifer Jason Lee seemingly just is like a cocaine-fueled madwoman in Hateful Eight. And yeah. in this one, it's like she couldn't even be bothered to emote. Right? Well, yeah, she kind of like, does the, like, she's a <laughs> character from The Office, like Stanley, where she's like, yeah. well, this is my fucking job. I just send men to their deaths. So I guess I'll go in and die. She but when made, she walks she, in, right, like, here's the, here's the basic setup of a character. You are haunted by the fact that you are sending all these people to their deaths. You stare out at this phenomenon every day and have no answers. Your whole life is kind of a meaningless executioner. When you get inside of that place, you should be a little excited and interested in what's going on. And she never is. 
ever. No, she does not. <laughs> so if she is kind of the canary in the coal mine, but in reverse, right? She's yeah. sent out by whatever the shimmer is to send people back in. I think that's pretty cool. And that explains a lot of her character, actually. I mean, that's how I that's how I interpreted it this time. Interesting. Like when I saw it the I first like time, that. I wasn't I wasn't really considering it, but this time I watched them like this all feels very planty, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so strange because I wondered because she's there and she's seemingly saying like this is the final stage it's all over almost like she's praying and then she's the only character we see just dissolve into light right other right. two characters Kane and Lena have made it to the final step right i guess you could say there are two final steps right either you are changed and you integrate whatever the shimmer and light is into you or you become a plant lady like uh, Rosie four weeks after she gets up out of those weeds. So those are the two final steps. So it's almost if she's a plant, she's sitting there, you know, hey, I brought these people. The game is over. Right. And it's kind of the biggest question this movie, right? Because, again, the movie doesn't try to answer everything and it's a big open world. But the movie does set enough exact answers. That there is some things that I think Alex Garland should have given us some clarity on that he didn't. So the movie at the end seemingly says to us that two people have been cloned, uh, hijacked by a parasite symbiote, whatever. Symbiote. Sorry, Sony. Yeah, come on. Yeah, or whatever happened, right? Two of them were altered and came back. But the movie never stops why them, right? They're not truly the two cells divided as kind of the theme states earlier, the rhythm of the dividing cell anymore. Right. Why those two? Why this plan of attack? What have they accomplished? So now what? They're going to go out and slowly fuck and make one more person per generation. And then like 100 years from now, there will just be eight shimmer people. And like the grandbaby will be like, well, I'm like a quarter shimmer. You know, like, I don't understand why any of this happened, but I think that's the biggest critique of of what because the movie, again, it, it's it is ambiguous in the imagery of that lighthouse. But yeah. it also is very specific in two people got out changed and it never tells us why. And so at, Ventress being a plant almost asked me more questions. So Ventress sent herself out there to find the right people because this another thing to bolster your argument is she's always picking the profiles, right? right? Seemingly in on it and baiting these people into going. So she finds the two, I guess, but she would have already had Lena's information before she sent Kane in. Right. So do you have any idea what the purpose of all of this was by the end of the movie? Absolutely not. Cause they say it was trying to build something new. And my biggest question is, what? why not even what but like why this way <laughs> mine was what <laughs> well because anyone who goes in there they're like it's in me it's changing us and i'm like all right well couldn't the little meteorite have just landed in like Times square and multiplied one yeah. million people already <laughs> like so that the books never really get into any of that why right there's no kind of like big meteorite moment like uh uh-huh. it's just kind of a well this weird fucking thing happened and no one knows why and we never really 
know. It kind of tells us what it is in the third book, but even that's pretty ambiguous. I do feel like it's a bit of a failure that we don't know why this infection protocol exists. I mean, because if this is just aliens dabbling, why shut down the reach after the two people get out? Right. Why ever shut down the shimmer? Well, yeah, I mean, that's always my sort of like I I was trying to figure out at the end. Because I know from the limited amount of information I know of the book, uh, this is the 12th expedition because they're not named in the book. 12th. Yeah, because they're not allowed to know each other's names or personal info. So they're just called their job. So it's biologists, psychologists, you know, linguists. So this is like the 12th expedition in the book. Like, I I don't know, man. Like, this is like the really – but I, this is like the whole intrigue of the movie itself that yeah. is having these kinds of – like, this is the kind of value I find in movies like this, and this movie yeah. particularly. Like, and I love that we still are – I mean, this movie came out uh, two years uh, – last year, 20, 2018. Like, well, you know, Was like, it this only is like last the, year? No, yeah. I saw this in L.A. I saw this before I went to L.A. Or came before I came to Indiana. It was released in 2018. I saw it at Limley's with Sham. Old Sham. It could have been right before I left. I left in March. Fe- Anyways. February, 20, February 23rd, yeah. 2018. But, here's, but the, here's the bonkers thing, right? Is Again, I don't want the movie to answer specifically, but this gets back to a problem of world building, is the more you answer, sometimes that is a negative. Right, you can sure. go too far, because he, if the w- reach was gonna end, right? Because the thing I like, right? So Jennifer Jason Lee's character Ventress is a plant. She's like, I fulfilled my mission. She gets slurped back up. Right. She becomes the light again. Right. The light reforms into what seemingly is an eyeball. They have that brilliant shot, right, from kind of right inside the burning center nucleus of this thing, looking out and observing Lena. And in the reflection, it's kind of Lena's observing herself through this giant eyeball for the first time. It's right. really cool visual, right? It's one of those, I don't know what the fuck is happening or what any of this is. You're like, I understand that's an eyeball. And I understand that this is us, the audience, kind of stop and really look and take her in in this moment, right? What It's kind of the movie stopping and saying, look at what you have assumed about this woman. What do you think this woman is? And now we're going to fucking play with that for a few minutes in like this weird theater of the absurd. I get all that, right? I love that imagery. And when she comes out, there's a lot of fun stuff that happens with the mimic. But seemingly, Kane went through this exact same process. So for Kane to leave and nothing to be burned down, right? The lighthouse is clearly not flammable until it chooses to be because the first grenade didn't burn it down. So I don't understand why they needed this. They do mention that this time, you know, they have that line. Ah, this time we're trying women. No, we're scientists. Uh, So maybe it's they needed an Adam and Eve thing. Again, this movie is ambiguous and shockingly on the nose all the time. (laughs) So maybe that's it. But I'm like, why wouldn't Ventress, who seemingly is a plant, just send in a husband and wife combo like on mission one? Right. So there's some weird stuff like that. But again, I think the journey itself and all but, that is fun but, enough to play with without but, answering. Right. That. But you're also I would actually make the argument that that seems deceptively on the nose, but it also might be on purpose. Like Kane, we talked about that Adam earlier, and like, Eve, the, the burning right, like bush. That is, like, 
Like that's like there's pretty, a lot of that right there in our face. Like that's very obvious, like in your face nonsense. Like the garden. Like yeah, I mean like how? Like, come on. Like that's absolutely something that you and I have talked about before. Yeah, it's but, not like, mother levels of in your face, but it's but there. I also think that I also think that Alex Garland's the type of filmmaker that would do that to fuck with you specifically so we have this kind of conversation yeah. and say that's pretty on the nose alex garland he goes yeah that's not what i meant you're dumb and i'm smarter than you and that's sort of like how i look at it because there's no way that it's I that obvious that. i grant him that he's smarter than me and i think what this is is sometimes you use those kind of broad terms and imageries right icons yeah. that we all recognize to right. give us a little root in this kind of chaotic maelstrom that this ending becomes but still <laughs> i mean that ending i don't understand the effect if this is like a we're trying to take over and make something better why only make yeah. two yeah i'm not sure i ever got that vibe because that's what i thought originally and they burn too, it all down like at the end right the southern reach they even say it's constantly growing it's constantly expanding no one cares yet because it's swampland but someday it's going to take over like new orleans and then people right, will fucking care and know but that's like like so it goes away at the end when kane when uh um, right. when lena right. does the uh, immolation with the uh yeah. with her body to, or and i don't think or possibly herself right and that's the thing i don't think you need to destroy the southern reach at the end to have this extra layer of symbolism of oh lena's burning herself down and she's something new it's like, yeah, I get it. When she's standing in front of the lighthouse, right? And the lighthouse is burning and she's silhouetted. I was like, it's a beautiful shot that is essentially the whole movie in one shot, which I adore. But also I'm like, that's about the ninth time you're layering this exact message on me. Right. You know, don't take away the reach. I think it causes a lot of problems at the end. But besides well, I, that, since I don't think either of us have really a, an answer or a hot take on that, no. what we can look at is what, the movie actually shows us right which is so lena runs up it's funny her first reaction is to shoot herself right the eye is reforming her and she's right, like oh, right, right, kill, right, kill right. it with bullets in this lovely moment where it's like doo -doo, and it just creates these little tails right little scars man the scars are what make me alanis morissette albums wow and she runs upstairs the doppelganger follows her and there's this yeah. really beautiful sequence that ensues. And this, to me, is the 2001 sequence where... The, ba the ballet? Yeah, you just got to let it, like, smother you and fucking suffocate you, right? right? So what we see is she runs up. She's trying to escape. And this is something I kind of... I was trying to break it down a little more specifically this time. She gets knocked out, right? And collapses to the ground. Right. The mime then slowly lays down next to her, right? Kind of mirroring her from that point on. Once she's knocked out, that's a double layer of unreliable narration within this story. Right. From that moment on, we don't really know if any, like, what is this fucking thing? By the end of the movie, it leads us to believe that it's a doppelganger version of her that's suffused with alien that's coming out, right? Or, even if you take the other read, they are themselves biologically as they went in, but now just changed and altered and evolved, right? Fine. Either way, even the eye looking at her, once we go inside the eyeball, we don't know what's happening. Once yeah. she's knocked out with the doppelganger, it's all unreliable, right? Yeah. I think that's a weird moment, but everything after that I love. What I love is the sequence of the doppelganger as the pursuer. 
in the moment that is just pure fucking cinema magic to me is when it is just pressing her into that door. Yeah. Pressing her. And it, it's just this, there's this beautiful moment. Natalie Portman plays where she's frantic and then she just fucking releases. Right. And like almost a calm comes over her. And then we cut to, as you phrase it, kind of the ballet moment. It's, just stunning primordial imagery man so few movies can do this segment of the movie and i know there are audience members who are like that segment's bullshit what does it mean why it's hard to pull this off if you can make this segment of the movie that's worth it right totally what do you make of this sequence right uh the dance the dance i mean to me it's a it's the metaphor i mean again like you're right it's i mean (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't it's weird in a movie a science fiction movie like this it's strange that like the thing we've all been building for and what we've what we all realized that we wanted the entire time was someone dancing with their doppelganger in a you know lighthouse next yeah. to her, their immolated husband like it's an amazing like sexy it's amazing like 15,000 metaphors in one right. combination <laughs> it, it is so well, that's what I noted this time. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is, uh, you know, <laughs> symbolism pornography. Yeah. Because when I she's mean, like, sitting there, like you said, right, she's dancing with the doppelganger next to the immolated corpse of her husband. But what this thing is, it represents her past sin, right? Yeah. The weight of the person she was, her guilt. It represents her husband because we saw her husband go through this exact process. So the husband that came home to her was probably this fucking metallic thing, right? Also, it represents the generic man that she uh, cheated with as she's dancing with it in front of her husband, right? Then it becomes her, and she lights it on fire to burn her best I was like, ah, so much. It's literally just a symbolism money shot. It's like, yeah, honestly, I mean, like, imagine, like, if imagine, like. Federico, Federico Fellini, Ingmar Bergman, yeah. and uh, you know uh, Jean Luc Godard are all just like jerking off on top of oh, you with yeah. their metaphors. Like Bergman's it's... just like, ah, if you put a Grim Reaper in a chessboard in the corner, I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I love this shit. This is my kind of shit. <laughs> yeah. But oh it's actually <laughs> what is most brilliant about this doppelganger, though, right? Is it's supposed to be sim- symbolism pornography because the southern reach and the shimmer, right? What One thing that struck me this time was the, the kind of rainbow lighting. At first, you're just like, oh, it's a beautiful way to give it a Wonderland effect. Well, it's not. What that lighting is doing you is reminding you that every single thing that exists inside of this realm is at the behest of whatever this thing is, right? So it exists and seemingly is putting up walls, but allowing everything in, right? And refracting it. So she has been allowed in to be split into every single part of her at once and changed and face whatever. That doppelganger becomes the receptacle for every single moment we've seen of this woman as she's told it to us, right? Funny enough. But it's it's just a brilliantly perfect visual summary of the whole flick, man. Yeah. I mean, again, like, how often do you get, like, every metaphor contained in a movie ever in a final scene and also still <laughs> revealing, like, 
the nature of the movie itself. Again, like, yeah. I go back to what I said. If like Kevin Alex Spacey Garland, had danced with that entire office and cork board and usual suspects, that's how good this was. <laughs> <laughs> if if like, Kevin Spacey's suit had been made of the evidence and usual yeah. suspects, that's how good you would have to that's be. That's how to good this, this was. Ugh. Beautiful. Again, I I just like I I watch it and I it's one of those things you watch and you just like but still I mean Alex Garland's just amazing. Like it's I can't get over how good Alex Garland is and how good he um how good he keeps something that could be lost and it's like lost not in a metaphor but like up its own ass so quickly. Yeah. And I'm I'm just compelled to continue watching. It's and amazing. sadly I think a lot of people felt that way about this. I don't I don't agree with that because, again, like I said, this movie to me, why I will always cherish this movie is it's just rare to watch a movie that has primordial, deep, dark weight. Yeah, I feel like I am walking the very depths of the ocean being crushed by the pressure of the images I am watching and in a visual medium like, you know, cinema or movies or whatever. That is fucking shockingly rare because yeah. it takes an absolute master to craft something like that. And again, to to tie in the themes to visually add that weight. It reminded me of the movie I'm dying to cover on this and we got to get to this month is The Lighthouse, right? The Lighthouse right. has a very similar trajectory to this because you don't know exactly what you're watching or why or if any of it's real. It's just fucking intense. You just know that there's a heft to the the film is pressing you down into your seat and right. that's what this ending does while being thematically crisp and i think again the movie suffers to me from it's somehow gets attacked from both sides of it's too artistic artsy and ambiguous and it is too specific and answers too much to where it leaves itself open for plot hole attacks Right. Sure. That's the problem of this movie. But I think if you take that stuff out, right, what I what I noticed, like, here's something I noticed this viewing. Right. And I noticed it before, but I didn't have time to really ponder it. Just the way Alex Garland uses the glass of water in this movie. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm a huge fan of those minimal posters. Right. It's like a whole subgenre of art where you just take like one very the smallest little thing you can from a movie. And that's the poster for this. I, yeah, there totally. has to be one out there that's just a glass of water with like a drop of blood slowly spider webbing through it. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll find it. It's got to be out. Yeah, because I would buy that because just his work with that glass of water, right? So when Oscar Isaac returns and we're just staring at his fingers ref- refracted through the water in the glass, it's so fucking brilliant. But at the point of the movie, you're not thinking of it. And then he pulls back and he's a little obscured by the door frame. And then she touches his hand, right? And we see their only loving embrace in this period of the movie refracted and altered by looking through a glass of water where we already are like, is that a genuine touch? Is that a lie? Is this different or new? Is he different? It's it's so fucking brilliant. And then he ties it in because when she's finished being questioned at the end, what does she do? There's a glass of water by her and she looks at it, not behind it this time, but picks it up and drinks it letting us the audience know i've been refracted i'm here now i'm loud and proud hear me right and it's just it's such a fucking masterful visual you know prop 
And I just watched it this time. I was like, fuck, that's good, man. Yeah. Fuck, that's good. They use it a couple times. And by the end of the movie, I'm like, what a silly little thing to mean that much to me. But I adore it. And that's that's, that's what that's where yeah. the power of this movie is, right? Is when you're watching it, at times you feel like you're being accosted by that magnetic putty thing. But that's great, man. It's rare that a movie can take you to the deep spots. Totally. I mean, that's like the whole point of the movie itself. And that's the whole point of not unlocking and like cracking open the egg for everyone at the end. Like, while there is some of that, like there's just enough. And yeah, there are like moments where you open yourself up to plot holes. But I think if you take that, like if you take that and then you take the bombastic nature of this movie kind of like locking itself away and making you do the work. Yeah. You're going to, you find a movie like Annihilation that's just. Uh, it's unprecedentedly cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, and I know it's it's kind of a lame movie podcaster thing, like, what if I had made the movie, I would fix all the problems. I honestly think if the Southern Reach just remains intact, so the movie ends, and she's watching herself be burnt to a crisp, right? Right. The doppelganger of herself being burnt to a crisp, which, again, watching herself burn makes me think that Oscar Isaac also burned his doppelganger in the exact same manner right right the mirroring the two i think anyways that's neither here nor there i think there are their organic selves at the end of that that are just evolved from their experience fine if you just leave the southern reach intact and the last thing we see is her watching herself melt you can have that exact same symbolism like we gotta get one more symbol of her whole life being changed and burned Okay, fine, I got you. You can still do that, and we don't have to watch the doppelganger crawl down and light the whole basement. If you just leave the mystery of the Southern Reach itself intact, I think that, I think that's the step they went a little far. Right. If you leave it intact, we can still presume that more people are going to go in, more people are going to be refracted the way they need to be, right? Whether they face it, fight it or embrace it right right the fact that it remains out there right alice in wonderland you don't want to know that wonderland's gone at the end right the reason the first matrix is cool is because the matrix is still intact at the end of the movie right the wonderland the mystery still is out there so i'm totally cool with them not giving us exacts i think maybe went a step far but again this to me is it's scientists trying to grapple with stuff. Whereas this is us just sitting in pure art. And I think that's cool, man. Any movie that can do that to you, I think is just fascinating to me. Agreed. All right. Lady Legolas, uh, Bonnie or Negol Stehanas. I don't know if I said that right. I don't know if I said it right, but thank you so much for your pick, man. You've been with us for a long time. One of the first, uh instagram fans of the film alchemist you've been with us for a long time i'm sorry it took us this long to get to it man uh but i'm glad we did what a fucking stunning movie again flabbergasted that's my adjective for finishing this movie (laughs) all of our adjectives for finishing the movie all right guys that's your stocking stuffed uh but there's still room man we pushed it all the fucking way into the toe we got plenty of room for more movies so Find us on Twitter at filmalchemist1, Facebook, Instagram, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com, or filmalchemistpodcast, I believe it is actually. 
Uh, yeah, you. However, you can get a hold of us. Let us know what you want us to cover. We're going to try to do as many as we can. Uh, again, we've got some really good picks already. We got room for more. Hit us up. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review. Helps us out a ton. We appreciate those of you that have been doing that. We do see it. Uh, we are on YouTube at Nerd Alchemist, plural with an S. Subscribe, watch, and as always, share the pod with all your friends, guys. It means the world to us. We'll be back next. I don't know when. It might be sooner, right? We got to start getting these things out. We're doing Jaws 4. Uh, psychic Jaws. <laughs> it's kind of, it's actually underwater pumpkin head is kind of what Jaws 4 is. Ooh, you're invoking the pea head for that? Wow, it's okay. pumpkin head-esque in, in magical connection, not in quality per se. But I think you're going to find it's a shockingly better film than you remember. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I'm dying. So you guys, send us your suggestions. We're getting out of here for the film Alchemist. I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. Peace.